You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. Great to be with you today. I'm Leanne Dolan here in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer, a producer, and I'm happy to be with my sisters. Hey, Liz, what's going on? (laughs) Hey, sisters. This is Liz. I'm in my second bedroom. Uh, You know, I'm uh, recovering from a bad accident, but one thing I did is thank you for all of the advice last week about how I could get a cup of coffee down the hall into my bedroom. (laughs) So so I managed to do that. The solution was little mini thermos, people. That's what I did, mini thermos. So here I am. And Julie, how are you in your closet? Hi, Liz. Yes, I'm fine. This is Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister. I'm in my closet in Dallas, Texas, and I'm cheering that uh, that uh, little victory for you, Liz. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Mini, mini thermos. Uh, <laughs> I got a lot. I got a lot of good news from the um, from the satellite sisterhood as well. A lot of advice about beets because uh, remember, I was going to try them, even though I don't like them. Yes. Oh, still don't. Okay. Still don't. <laughs> <laughs> Still on the fence? Okay. Oh. The yellows were better than the reds. That was good advice. Okay. But uh, so happy to be with you, sisters. Yes. All right, Julie, I guess it's really cold there in Dallas. A lot of the country having a cold snap. Not out here, but you are. You stay in warm. Yes. Yes. Everybody, we're, you know, this, this is part of a big uh, weather system that's moving across the country. You know, we're going to have single di- digit weather here. Uh, in Oklahoma, I, I, it's the coldest weather in 30 years. So this is going to be a very, very significant cold snap. So we're going to be protecting pets and plants and pipes, all the things you do um, in areas where they're really not used to cold weather. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for the update. I, <laughs> I, I've turned almost exclusively to full-time weather monitoring now. Um, you know, I find it very satisfying. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, today on the show, well, we have a full show. Liz, you're bringing a sports block to us. Sure. A lot going on there. A couple yep. of elite athletes that you've interacted with that you're going to tell us about. Mm-hmm. You bet, yeah. Leanne. Okay. Julie, what's happening in Russia? You, I mean, we haven't talked about Russia for a while, but it's still there and things are still happening. And right. That's you right. have some valuable information. Uh, former resident of Moscow, Russia. Um, I'm going to tell you about a new um, documentary that's out called Putin's Palace. And it's creating quite a stir in Russia. Okay. Uh, I'm bringing a story from The Atlantic that came out a couple of weeks ago about the friends you miss in the pandemic. And um, just some really fascinating information on how some of the smaller social interactions that we haven't been able to have in the last year have really started to affect us. I think you probably figured it out, but when you think about (laughs) Think about yeah. how small your social circle has become. There's a lot of interesting social science behind um, some of what we're all experiencing. And then, Julie, lying in job interviews. It's happening. Is that correct? Yes, Is that correct? A lot. A lot. Everybody. The interviewer, the interviewee. Uh, on average, two to three lies per t- uh, 10 to 15 minute interview. Oh, really? Is it really lies, though, or is it just putting the best spin on things? This is what we're going to talk about, Liz. Is it spin? Is it a lie? Is it is it a white lie? Or you know, we're going to. Are you just reframing things? (laughs) (laughs) 
one. I'm, I'm sort of laughing because I was speaking to my 23-year-old about reframing a few things on his <laughs> resume last week. And then I caught myself like, uh-oh, I don't, I don't think that's actually ethical, what I'm telling him to do. So never mind. Don't do that. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> I've been writing fiction for too long. <laughs> okay, Liz, you had a little victory this week. Was it the coffee? Is that, is that your no, big the step coffee forward? Is, the coffee <laughs> is a, was a victory, but no. And last week's show, I announced that my motto for 2021 is little victories every day. Because I had this bad accident. Now I had the surgery. It's going to be months before I can walk again. And I just have to find pleasure in much smaller things in my life, right? So little victories every day. I thought, okay, well, last week, since we last spoke, I got my first hot shower. So that's, that's a good little victory. Yes. Um, but that, that doesn't win. Uh, since we spoke last week, I figured out how to get my wireless printer back online, even though I cannot reach any of the buttons from my wheelchair. So that seemed like a little victory, but not a big enough little victory. So I decided that my biggest little victory was one night over the weekend, my friend Nicole had dropped by like a goodie bag of treats on Friday afternoon. And in the treats was a little package of the really delicious chocolate chip cookies from Bristol Farms. Mm. And so like last Saturday night, I woke up, I was laying in bed, tossing and turning. It was like 11 p.m. I got the giant brace on. Like, I, like it's just sometimes not a good situation. And all of a sudden I remembered that in my kitchen, there was a package of chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> so I voluntarily, sisters, I voluntarily got up got out of bed, got into my wheelchair, went into the kitchen and got myself a chocolate chip cookie and brought that cookie back into my bedroom and enjoyed it laying in bed again. And I think even the fact that I would voluntarily get up to go seek a late night snack, that is a little victory. <laughs> That's it. Liz, that's heroic, I think, you know, and I'm glad a chocolate chip cookie was involved. You know? Yeah, I mean, Lee and you know, because you helped take care of me when I first got back home from the hospital. There was no voluntary movement no. of any kind. No, right? no, I, I, yeah, I, no. And you, you didn't even want cookies. No, no. <laughs> I mean, you just, yeah, that was not top of mind for you. Cookies no. were not top of mind. You wanted other things, but not cookies. Maybe right. that's not the best development, but whatever. <laughs> the fact that I got up and went and got something that I didn't have to, I didn't have to go get, I think was good. So that's it. That's my little victory for the week. Okay. okay. Optional trip to the kitchen. Checklist. Okay. That's a, uh, that's a victory. Okay. We applaud that. Sisters, I have a new um, pastime. Uh, now I want to start by saying I am not a healthcare professional. I am. I think that we should start every show by saying, <laughs> reminding people that we are just sisters. I am not a vaccine hub, but you know what I have become? I have become a vaccine matchmaker. Okay, oh. uh, because the way it's working here in the state of Texas is there is you have to register in a lot of different places in order to get an appointment. They, they're encouraging you to do that. Public health experts are telling us that's what we have to do. So some, but I have a friend who had a 94, has a 94 year old mother and his mother has been just sitting at home. She's not in a nursing care or, you know, so she had, didn't receive the vaccine that way. And she was just sitting at home 
waiting for her doctor to tell her, you know, when to come to get a vaccine. But that's not happening. You have to go through one of these hubs or sites or centers in order to get that. And because I did navigate the, the maze, I've, I have just a tiny bit of information that has made me dangerous and has empowered me. And I just <laughs> want everyone to get the vaccine. And this week, I made it happen for my friend Bob's 94-year-old mother. She got her vaccine because I found out about a new hub that was opening up. I got in, I got him in, I got him, I got him, I got the appointment and his mother got the vaccine. That so, is great, Julie. It was a great feeling. So uh, I, my, I cannot take on any other clients, right? <laughs> but I did hear some very promising news about the Allen Fire Station has their own center. So just as a public service announcement, if you live in Texas, check out Allen Fire Station because they have a first come, first serve appointment system there. Yeah. Wow. That wow. is good to know. I, I'm considering some vaccine tourism. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. I don't want to hear about it. But when, when you get to your level, okay, uh, uh, you know, in the orderly, and I'm happy to provide consults on how to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll call you in August because that appears to be when I, we're getting to my level. <laughs> so, all right. Well, last week I finally sent out pep talk. I, I took the month of January off. Not really. Uh, I had to force quit the month of January. It's just what I'm going to say. Like, well, you were mainly caring month. for me, Leanne. Let's give you a little credit. You. you were mainly providing medical care, even though, as we've established, <laughs> none of us are qualified to do right, that. But right. you did a bang up job here at my home. So, uh, so the newsletter was back last week and, uh, the pep talk for the week was by a bird feeder. And I am just buoyed by the response to that. First of all, we have a lot of people out there that have been doing good work feeding birds for years that are so far beyond me and my single bird feeder. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Could you believe the photos that were posted on the Facebook page of the Amazing. birds? Yes. Amazing I mean, birds. People have really have really gotten into birds during this pandemic. Like, yes. Well, I, I'm late to this party, but I am enjoying it. My husband gave me a bird feeder for Christmas. He set it up. It's right outside my front window. It actually took the birds a while to find it, but now it's nonstop birds. And I have become just like nonstop bird play by play. So my husband was like trying to read the paper Sunday morning. I'm like, oh, Oh, the chickadees are here. Oh, 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 they're fighting with the finches. Oh, is that a is that a pigeon or is that a ring-neck dove? I can't. Oh, the squirrel. Oh, here's the squirrel. So uh, I I said, are you enjoying this play-by-play? -play? He's like, I can take the bird feeder down. So uh, <laughs> I just want to thank people for all the bird feeder photos. I enjoyed all the photos. What's happened to me in this pandemic? I enjoyed the photos of your cats watching the birds. That is a whole <laughs> subgenre. <laughs> so I'm glad people enjoyed the squirrel versus bird feeder video that mm -hmm. I put in the pep talk. That was very dramatic, Liz. It's, it's a fantastic way. video. So if you're not a subscriber to pep talk, it's, gonna, it's coming back full force. Uh, it should be a regular newsletter back again. So you can go to SatelliteSisters.com and sign up. Up. There's a little pep talk. There's all kinds of links to things. We just put whatever we feel like in, in the newsletter at the end of the week. And hopefully it puts a smile on your face. But thank you. Thanks to everybody who responded with more bird feeding than I could have thought possible. And I, it actually forced me to go to the Audubon Society site. It hadn't actually occurred to me, like, I wonder what those birds are. I just, <laughs> I hadn't reached that stage. Ian, I think you're going to get a bird book for your birthday. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I, I was like, 
maybe I should go to the Audubon, the local Audubon chapters website. And there they all were. There were photos of all the birds at my bird feeder. It was very helpful. All right. But thank you. Thank you. And subscribe to Pep Dog. Yes, it was, uh, that was so much fun to see. Well, as long as you're talking about play-by-play, Leanne, I think we need to talk a little sports here on Satellite Sisters because there's a lot going on in the sports world and mainly there's a lot of debate about goats. Once again, the debate, who is the greatest of all time? Yeah. Now, obviously with the Super Bowl this weekend, um, that kicked up that debate some more. I need to just stipulate that we grew up, the Dolan children, as New York sports fans. So we are really required to root against Tom Brady. That's, yeah. I don't it's, think that's it's optional. Genetic, <laughs> it, right? It's genetic, Our genetic predisposition. Is, is However. All uh, Boston sport teams. Yep. Yes. Right. However, even though he's not in Boston anymore. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just, he, he doesn't get to change his stripes <laughs> that easily. However, now that I am sort of in athletic rehab myself, um, <laughs> I feel like I have a kinship with Tom Brady that I didn't used to have. And I got to say, winning a Super Bowl at 43 is pretty darn impressive. So I'm just going to put that out there. I, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. what you guys thought. It's, it's impressive. Yes. That's not young. Yes. That's He's an impressive a- athlete. He it's, is. That's all I, but you know, that's but all that's I can as far say. as we're willing to go. <laughs> we're not going to talk about the officiating. No. Or the cheating or like the prior cheating. No. Okay. No. We're really not even going to talk to about the Super Bowl. We just, no. I, was, I was willing to acknowledge Tom Brady. Okay, good job. Yes. MVP, yeah, moving on. Moving yeah. on. That's all we're going to say about that. Yeah. Okay, another athlete who is often called the GOAT is Tiger Woods, the greatest of all time potentially in the golf world. And there's a new two-part documentary about his life on HBO Max that I believe is just called Tiger or something. Anyway, I was ignoring it for a while until two satellite sisters, Kathleen and Julia, both commented in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group that they thought they saw me in the documentary. Oh. Uh, yes, Kathleen, Kathleen thought she saw me in a meeting and Julia thought she saw me in a crowd scene on a golf course. Now, this is entirely possible, people, right. because at this point in Tiger's career and my career, I was running marketing at Nike. So the time when Nike signed Tiger Woods to a big contract, I was in on a lot of those meetings. And I did actually go to a golf tournament a couple of times, you know, it, it actually happened. So based on Kathleen and Julia's um, question, I went and I looked at this two-part documentary. So uh, comments on that in a second. The first is the footage of the meeting or the photo of the meeting. I was in, I, I didn't see myself in that meeting, but I was in that exact meeting a bunch of times. So, <laughs> so there was a lot of that because basically he, right before he turned pro, he was in Oregon, so, and this is in the documentary, he was playing in his third straight U.S. Amateur Championship, which was at the Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club in Cornelius, Oregon, which is a suburb of, um, of Portland. So it just so happened, and, and that's the tournament that I actually went to. So when, that's why when Julia said she thought she saw me in the crowd, I was in that crowd, Julia, though I watched it and I did not see myself. Anyway, so yes, I was in that meeting, though you can't see me. Yes, I was in that crowd scene, though you can't see me. But I was just thinking a lot, sort of reliving those days. 
And, you know, it's, it's such a sad documentary, really. And so I was thinking back to those. Yeah, such conflicted feelings about Tiger Woods. Oh, my God. I mean, oh he was God. an incredibly exciting, dynamic athlete, but you knew he was going to self-combust. And when he did, it was spectacular. Exactly. And then he fought his way back to win again. But it's just, it's a very, I have very complicated feelings about Tiger Woods. Yeah. I mean, I remember coming out of those meetings, those very first meetings. So he literally won the U.S. Amateurs like one day and the next day he was in our office and we were presenting to him and that's when he signed his deal. And so both of his parents were there and it was, you know, there were like 20 people in the room, including his agent and all of that. And, but as you can see in the documentary, I mean, his, his dad did a lot of speaking for him and about him early in his career, mm -hmm. which I just remember witnessing that in a small meeting room where like Tiger couldn't even get a word in edgewise, but it was his father saying he was going to change the world. He was going to be Buddha. He was, you know, all of that stuff. I remember coming out of that first meeting and saying to my colleagues, this is not going to end well. And oh, not really. Not so much for him professionally, because what do I know? Obviously, you know, I, I, was not gonna, I was not predicting his career, but it just was so clear. He was 18 that he was going to have to break from his dad at some point. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of athletes have to do this. We've all seen these young athletes who are coached by their parents. And sometimes it happens in a healthy way, in its right time. And sometimes it doesn't. And I think the heartbreak of Tiger, when I look at it, is that I'm just sad that the reckoning for them and for him came in such an awful way relatively late in his life. You right. know, right. it just, it was, I was, when he did crash and burn, I was not surprised, but I was just very sad that that's what it took, that there was no sort of healthy, uh, I don't know, decoupling disengagement disengagement right. exactly exactly um and i would also just say this you know watching the the documentary there's an insanity around that kind of fame that i would not wish on anyone right when you're up close and personal with what it's like when like things just blow up like that you know, and I've seen it with a bunch of different athletes, male and female, across all kinds of sports. Some people can handle it, but most people cannot. And it, it's just, there's an insanity around that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, I, I, I wasn't going to watch the documentary because the whole thing makes me so sad, but Kathleen and Julia, you know, I wanted to be able to report back on my findings. So not me, could have been me. And then, the other thing about fame and judgment and reckoning is that there are people in this documentary like Matt Lauer commenting oh, on Tiger Woods. Oh, exactly. Oh. Exactly. So so that's it. It's a it's just a very sad tale, no matter no matter how you no matter how you slice it. So when you see athletes that can manage their adult lives, can separate. I mean, okay, now we're going to talk about the third goat, Serena Williams. Yeah. All I mean, right. Now we're talking. Okay. Now we're talking. I mean, she had to separate from her dad, yes, yes, she right? Was. That was not easy. I get the feeling from Serena that she has managed to pull that off in a relatively healthy way. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes, but good on Serena. So anyway, so, okay, now Serena's playing at the Australian Open. First of all, Julie, can you believe it was three years ago we were in Melbourne at the Open? 
I know, Liz. I, I mean, that was a highlight of my life. It is a it is a great sporting event. Melbourne is a great city, and we thanks to you, we had a spectacular time. Yeah, <laughs> we did, and it, it just seems like another lifetime. Anyway, so she's she's there. FYI, Serena Williams has won twenty three Grand Slam titles, including seven Australian Opens. So they love her down under. Why wouldn't you? She's won seven times. And so I would just like to make this note to the GOAT committee, whoever decides who the greatest of all time is. First of all, 23 Grand Slam titles. Secondly, Tom Brady never won anything while pregnant. Okay? Uh -huh. just, just a note. Just, you know, I'm just, but I don't know who the committee is that makes the final decision. But there were two funny things that were in the news about Serena this week. The first is in an interview, she was saying her daughter, Olympia, who's three years old, has taken to calling her Serena and it's so cute <laughs> so I mean because I guess everybody calls her Serena right, right. yes <laughs> you can imagine again because she's so uber famous you know, like you walk through a crowd you're Serena Williams mm -hmm. everyone is just yelling Serena 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 so <laughs> I, I mean she thinks it's funny but she keeps trying to correct her daughter no you need to call me mommy <laughs> okay I just think that's hilarious um and then the other thing because in my long recuperation here at home i am visiting many places on the internet and one of the places i toured this week is serena's new home in miami i saw way. that liz i did i did too yes nice huh yeah mm -hmm. yeah so architectural where do Di you tour this where, where is architectural this? digest land architectural oh. digest did a little tour i'll put a oh. link in the show notes oh, okay so it's a beautiful home a lot of very high-end contemporary art she's obviously very into uh, into that. You should check out her karaoke room. That looks like fun, doesn't it, Jewel? Yes. Yes. I, I really would like one. I think that would be a blast. Yeah. Particularly during a pandemic, just to have a little karaoke room. Yep. But anyway, it, it, the tour also includes her trophy room, which, you know, mo most of us don't need. Uh, but at one point, she's walking around the trophy room and she picks up a cup and says, what's this doing here? this is for second. We don't keep those. And she kind of <laughs> <laughs> like, what? And I just want to say, spoken like a true goat, you know, that's, that is really the way they feel. That's the way, you know, Tom Brady feels. That's the way Tiger Woods feels. I mean, Michael Jordan, when everyone watched those Michael Jordan, that Michael Jordan uh, documentary, the, the Last Dance, Right. Everyone was commenting like, wow, I never knew he was so competitive. <laughs> and you're just like, are you kidding me? What? what? <laughs> the best in the world ever? Yeah, super competitive, FYI. Uh, anyway, so I thought that was very funny. And one last thing, Serena Williams is the only goat who could rock that one-legged tennis outfit she wore the other day. <laughs> that was awesome. And do you see she just crushed her opponent? Because that's what they do, Jewel. That's what six they do. One, six one. There's just so she Mercy. wants to wear one one legged outfit. You know, do it. Whatever she wants. Whatever, whatever she wants. Whatever Serena wants. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think I made my position clear a couple weeks ago when I said I don't care what anyone wears anymore. So, <laughs> <Yes>. but <laughs> so, she looked good. It was a tribute to Florence Griffith Joyner, one of yes. her heroes growing up. Oh, that, that was nice. Yeah. Um, all right. I feel like in vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Tiger Woods doc that we have to watch the um, Britney Spears one next. 
Speaking oh. of, mm -hmm. you know, there's been a lot of talk about that. I haven't had a chance to watch it, but maybe I'll assign that as the producer of Satellite Sisters so we can comment on it because there's just been a lot of talk about how someone else not in control of their life and right. you know, what happens uh, when that goes off the rails and, you know, spectacularly, you know, fall from grace. So it just right, sounds so heartbreaking. This is why I always debate with myself right. whether I want to watch or not. It's just a very hard decision because some of, some of me just, doesn't want to see it. Doesn't want to see it. Yeah. But yeah. I know Sheila's daughter, Ruthie, who is a filmmaker yeah. and Britney Spears' age, she has tweeted quite a bit about the Britney Spears documentary. So it makes me feel like we should watch it. Right. Right. I think Britney Spears was important to a lot of young women growing yes. up. And yep. we were not young. So they were <laughs> we look at, at her with different eyes. So I think mm -hmm. we should immerse ourselves in that. All right. That's check assigned. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of assigned, I want everyone to save the date. April 11th is going to be a celebration of 20 years of sisterhood. All five satellite sisters are doing a Get, get excited, a virtual event. Yay. Remember last year, we were all going to get together in Washington, D.C.? Ha, ha, ha. Well, that's <laughs> not happening, but we're doing it April 11th virtually. So the tickets will go on sale next week. You'll all know everything about it next week, but I just want you to save the date. Sunday, April 11th, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or Daylight Time. I don't know what we're in. Please don't correct me. <laughs> 7 p.m. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, that's when it is, and we'll give you the information next week. But it'll be all five sisters, special events, games. We've we have things happening. We're we're planning behind the scenes, and we hope you join us for a Satellite Sisters celebration of 20 years of sisterhood. All right. When we come back, um, we're going to talk about uh, a whole bunch of things, including friendship, what's happening in Russia, and lying in job interviews. But first, we want to thank a couple of our sponsors. Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here, and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. Mm -hmm. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz. My hair from Pros is getting <laughs> rave reviews. Leanne, I am not surprised. You have been on that Pros hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. I, do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Leon Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when it's, my hair is really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you, you're the boss. I'll take it. <laughs> you tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leon's. Okay? And I'm, I'm using it. Pros isn't just better for you. It's also better for the planet, Liz. They're certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So, Pros, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos, too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Pros. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash 
slash sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. Okay, we're back. So Julie, what's happening in Russia? What's going on there? I know there's been a lot of headlines. Right, there've been a lot of headlines. I know you both have seen that they've had really countrywide demonstrations and protests. And this is, it's very unusual to see that in Russia. Um, also, they had the trial of Alexei Navalny, who is the opposition leader who, you know, who was uh, poisoned by Putin and his allies uh, via a, the nerve agent Novichok, which they, did you know that they had smeared that in his underpants and that's how he uh, became poisoned? That is so, so weird. I know. But they, <laughs> I mean, it's so awful. It, the whole thing is so awful. But the fact that they poisoned him, he got out of the country and went back, and still went just back. blows my mind, Julie. He's an incredibly brave person. Yes. He's now been sentenced to over two years in Russia, a Russian uh, prison. His wife has been arrested. You know, she will, you know, most likely go to prison. And that many of the demonstrators across the country, and I know we talked about a cold snap, but they were demonstrating in minus 50 degrees Celsius weather. A lot of this happened as, you know, it is uh, to really confront the corruption of the Putin administration and his allies. And there has also been a recently released documentary called Putin's Palace. It's available on YouTube with subtitles, and it is produced by Alexei Navalny's sort of, uh, he had a team of investigative people that have been working on this documentary, and Alexei Navalny narrates this um, documentary. And what it's about is the Versailles-scaled palace that's on the Black Sea that, according, that, that Putin has built for himself. He is the richest man in Russia, which, you know, the only way he has amassed that kind of wealth is through the corruption, his personal corruption and the corruption of his allies. But some of the details of this palace that they've built um, is, is just beyond comprehension. And this um, a team of investigators put it together because the scale of this palace, this complex that he built, was so large, it was impossible to control the information. There were just too many marble workers that had to lay marble in this palace. Or, you know, it has two, uh, it has a pair of helipads. It has vineyards. It has a Greek amphitheater, Leon. Um, oh. <laughs> it has a church. It has an underground ice rink. Like they, mm. they got some drone flights of this palace. Those were illegal, but they have footage of this entire complex. And it has its own harbor. It has its own um, security. It has a sculpture garden. It has a power station. It has staff dormitories, a giant operations center, and its own gas station. And I think this is this um, documentary has been viewed 90 million times, I assume mostly by Russians. And I think this is kind of like the last straw for many Russians to, to see this sort of, you know, incredible wealth when many people in Russia are really struggling and it's obviously gotten worse since the uh, pandemic. Putin denies that he owns this palace uh, and he denies any knowledge of this. Um, but really? Yeah, 
That's that's his official. That's position. a good strategy. Just <laughs> okay. Wow. Hmm. All right. But I think it. You know, you uh, begin to. Um, you know, you begin to understand and appreciate. Um, how brave these people are, A, the ones that made the documentary, how Alexei Navalny stood up and did this, as he has opposed uh, Putin, he's trying to call out the corruption of Putin, and all of the demonstrators, I mean, that, you know, they, they, this is something we take for granted in this right, country, that right, we can right. protest and demonstrate, uh, that we can do exposés uh, on corruption. Uh, you can't do that in Russia. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's very interesting to see. It's, I would recommend you can watch it in segments, uh, and it's just beyond, beyond. That's all I can say. Well, it's such an interesting way to help people understand the scale of the corruption, right? Because sometimes when you just see financial statements and you see numbers, it's not quite real to you. But that they, they chose to sort of reveal something like this makes it so real in people's minds. Yeah, exactly, Liz. Wow. Okay, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if people are interested, you can take a look. Okay, Uh, you know, this is an article that someone actually posted on our Facebook group, but we had had a tag to talk about on the show today from The Atlantic, uh, written by Atlantic staff writer Amanda Mull. And the title of the article is The Pandemic Has Erased Entire Categories of Friendships. There's a reason you miss the people you didn't even know that well. Doesn't that kind of give you a chill when you hear that? Yeah. And then you think about the people in your own life that you were just used to having these casual relationships with that sort of formed formed your daily interaction, especially if you worked at home. You know, the mailman's here. It's my good friend, the mailman. Or I'm going to yoga, I'm going to yoga class. At least I can smile and nod at three people. Uh, and when those all when those all disappear, you know, it does really change your life. But um, so the writer here is making the point that we had all these relationships that social scientists actually refer to as weak ties. So these are not our close friends and these are not our families. These are not the people that we've been doing Zoom get-togethers with or Zoom happy hours with because we don't have that kind of relationship with them. But they are the people that kind of give our life structure. They tether us to society at large is mm-hmm. what people are saying and uh, is, is what social scientists are saying. And it's kind of surprising. It made me sad to read this article because they're the, the reason like you sort of get up and get dressed every day and comb your hair and put your bra on. You're gonna say, put your bra on. It's, exactly. because it's because of these weak tie relationships. Like you probably don't really do that for your best friends, but you know what? You do it for the guy standing, uh, you know, giving you the coffee at Starbucks because you want to mm-hmm. look together for that guy so really <laughs> yeah that guy knows your name because he's yelling out your name so you got to look good for that guy <laughs> right so it just really struck me that like these are a whole category of relationships that we don't really have and how can we get back to that what have you guys been thinking about this well, you know, there was a section in the article about how that relates to your workplace and people not being in their workplaces anymore. And these weak ties in the workplace are also incredibly important. When you just think about, you know, water cooler conversation or hanging out with people you don't really know that well, but you're kind of in the foxhole together. Mm-hmm. And they made the point, they kind of studied this and they said that most people, like when they get a new job or even get promoted, it tends to be 
from someone with whom they have a weak tie, not someone with whom they have a strong tie, mm -hmm. you know? So it's that, it's what we would call your professional network. So your professional network is basically a bunch of weak ties, but you get to know them, they know you, they know the work that you do. And so when opportunities arise, it tends to be one of those people in your outer circle of friendship that would reach out to you. And I thought that was really interesting just from a professional point of view, because I think for sure that's true for most people. I think it's also the variety of points of view, of opinions, of experiences that you don't get. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. if you have a small pod, you know, you're just targeting the same people, <laughs> right? Yes. And it's, yes. you know, it's the spice of life, right? Uh, that these are the people, you know, maybe, you know, that you bump into or you run into them at the grocery store or you see them in your interactions and you have some kind of conversation and they may be people that are very different than you. And I think that's really, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's a real loss not mm -hmm. to have the ability to communicate with people that are very different than the people that are in your, your pod or your family. And, um, and I miss that. Yeah. I think I never understood how much I needed those people. Right. You know? Like what, as you say, Leanne, what structure that does give your day or your week, just the sort of the chit chat that you have with people as you move through the world. It's, it's much more important than I ever would have guessed. Well, Liz, it's mentioned in the article, a study by Andrew Guidish, who's a doctoral candidate in psychology at UC Santa Cruz. Uh, it's called conversational reciprocity, right? That oh. you have these interactions with people. A lot of times he studied at work, uh, managers and employees. So he studied that there's an imbalance in that relationship. But after the meeting is over, you have those five to 10 minutes of time at the end of the meeting to kind of chit chat and get to know each other. That's, you know, cult, that's called conversational reciprocity it sort of evens you out. And when that happens, most people, people report feeling happier and more satisfied, right? So yeah. it's that same thing. They make the point, like, even if you're being the good soldier and ordering from the neighborhood place, uh, you're doing contactless, you know, carry out. Mm -hmm. Instead of chit-chatting with the guy taking your pizza order, or making your smoothie, or talking to the person behind you in line, it's purely transactional. Yeah. Even on these work calls, these Zoom calls have very defined goals, because if they don't, it's a nightmare. No one really wants to chit-chat on Zoom. Yeah. So you're just kind of doing, going through the daily motions, but it's transactional as opposed to conversational. Yeah. And that is, that's incredible, actually. Mm -hmm. That when you think about that, you're like, yeah, I really... I really do miss the bartenders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh so. my God. Just sitting and chit-chatting with a stranger. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the idea. There, another psychologist is quoted, a social psychologist from the University of Essex. And she said that regular interaction with people outside of our inner circle, quote, just make us feel like a part of a community or a exactly. part of something bigger. And yeah. then Julie, she responds like, it is the spice of life. Just like you, you said, like, you're just tired of having the same interaction with the people in your house. It's really yeah. made me think a lot about like, when you read those comments, like, well, it's just really all about family. Is it, is it really all about family? <laughs> Leanne, you've Family's been good, you've been family's good, long. but not enough. Yeah. Just not enough. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, they can fulfill different needs. That's what yes. the But you wonder if it's said. making us intolerant to other people, too. Mm. You know, if, the, if, you, if you don't really have to cooperate uh, with other people or listen to other people, um, 
does that make you more intolerant? And that's not good for the, for our community and for the society too. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to go the other way, Joel. I feel yeah. like because I recognize the need now to have these people okay, in my life, good, good. it will actually make me put more focus on these weak ties and having them be civil and meaningful and thoughtful instead of just taking them for granted. Right. Well, Liz, that, that is how the author concludes this article that you know, loneliness and isolation were actually a problem before the pandemic. And so it has certainly been exacerbated by the pandemic. And there were mm-hmm. some really personal and heartbreaking stories on our Facebook page about the consequences of some of this social isolation. But, but psychologists do think that it's actually going to strengthen ties afterwards. Although I have to say, as a driver in Los Angeles who hasn't been driving much, don't you find, Liz? Well, you haven't been driving no. much. <laughs> But you go out and you're like, people have forgotten how to drive. So (laughs) when I'm on the road now, I'm like, what is happening? Everyone has forgotten how to drive. We used to be able to go five lanes, 75 miles an hour, go, uh, and no longer. And so I think it's going to take us a while to get back in the swing of things, having these normal interactions, but I hope we do. And then you make the point. We may be a little wobbly coming out of this, but we, 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 we have to proceed. Right. Could be the roaring 20s again. Party, party, party. (laughs) Party, party, party. Well, thank you, Nicole, for posting that on our Facebook page. Uh, We will, of course, put a link to this in our show notes. Our show notes, again, are at SatelliteSisters.com, or if you're listening on a podcast app, you can just tap the cover art, and that should take you to our show notes. We try to really do a good job doing those notes and putting all the links in there. But also, this is from The Atlantic. The Atlantic. Okay, are you interviewing? I know you two are not interviewing for jobs. Maybe you are. You know, you don't know that. You don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know. Okay, but you may know someone who's interviewing for a job. Oh, is there going to be a meeting after this podcast? I'm just saying, years of ZipRecruiter has really it's speaking to me. You got to put yourself out there. Why not? You never know what's out there. You don't know. Okay, well, you may be interested to know uh, that a job interview is really when, uh, when they uh, talk to career coaches and researchers that the typical inter- job interview is really an exercise in deception. <laughs> okay. Now, we're not talking about whoppers, okay? Uh, we're not talking about, you know, that you are falsifying degrees or, or experience, but we're talking about that the small ones, you know, sort of similar to what we were taught as a child, that if uh, if someone served you something, and you know, like our Aunt Mary when she made those bacon and pecan things, uh, appetizers, and none of us liked them, we just all our, our mother said, we you know, just say they're delicious, right? These are like right. little white lies, and a job interview is really sort of a high stakes extension of that dy- dynamic. I mean, these are sort of social lies that you make, and it starts. Uh, it starts, you know, uh, right at the beginning of the interview when they're people, when the interviewee and the interviewer are greeting, you know, and they they express enthusiasm, like I'm happy to be here or I'm happy to see you. That may not be true at all, right? <laughs> you think about it. Like the interviewer probably has interviewed like ten people. He or she is probably sick of interviewing people. So, right? And the well, you interview- do have to play along. That's true. Okay. If you're so- the interviewee. I would be happy to be there. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, but some of it is, you know, exaggerations. Like 
maybe, you know, you say, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so interested in this job as the interviewee, but maybe you're not, you know, maybe you just want a paycheck or just Mm -hmm. a job. Okay. Um, uh, You know, then it can proceed that you're not, you know, you want to put your best self forward. So maybe you're going to leave out some of the messy departure from your last job, you know, just do the highlights, right, Liz? Sure. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't recommend talking about messy departure from your last job in a job interview, but I also wouldn't classify that as lying by leaving it out. You know, I mean, researchers are saying that candidates on average tell two to three lies in a 10 to 15 minute interview. Okay, so not disclosing the total situation is, in fact, a lie, Liz. Right. Okay, well, I mean, I don't I do not agree. <laughs> I think you're just, you're, it's a, you have one conversation, you're, you're selecting certain things to talk about in your first conversation, but maybe that's, you're saving it for the second conversation. I don't know, but okay. All right. Okay. I, let, let me give you an, another example, Liz. What about, let's say you leave your graduation dates off your resume. Now, a lot of people are doing that because they don't want to indicate exactly how old they are because yeah, they know yeah. that there is ageism. Or perhaps now, because so many jobs are virtual, they, they are not indicating where their actual re- residence is. They're applying for a job in California, and they live in Dallas, but the job is based in California. But they So just, they're classifying that as lying? Well, it's not total disclosure, Liz. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then on the other side, the interviewer... Um, you know, I, I think this is true that, you know, interviewers swear that they have a fabulous co- corporate culture, right? Yes. Everybody, everybody says that, right? Yes. Oh, yes. our work culture is great, right? Yes. Now, yes. is that true? Is that true? I would say this is where I have always been terrible when I'm interviewing people. I find myself like 10 minutes into the interview or just into, into the interview, like selling the job so hard that I forget that my job is actually to figure out if that person is qualified. Instead, I'm trying to talk them into wanting the job, okay. which is not a good interview strategy. So you're marketing it. Yes, yes. that, that yeah. is it. Okay. Or even that you may gloss over the long hours or, or the actual salary, particularly in the first interview, right? Yeah, I think the big lie when it comes to salary is if it's not the salary the person wants, you find yourself saying, well, we can look at that after six months, something like that, which you know, in almost any corporate culture, mm, you can lie. really do that. That's <laughs> a lie. That's a lie. No, but look at it. It's not going to change. If you yeah. accept that level, you're stuck there for the rest of your career here. Congratulations. Yeah. I know. yeah. So or, that's, or that's, that- that's a lie I have told. A few times. Okay. All right. And have you told the lie about upward advancement? You know, because that's a lot of interviewees want to know, like, you know, you know, can I get promoted here? And that? Well, I mean, theoretically, people get promoted. Does everyone get promoted every year? This is what I find is hard to manage in a conversation. Not everyone gets promoted every year, but some people do get promoted here. Yes. <laughs> that's, you know. Okay. Well, it's just very interesting to sort of step back, whether you're virtual or you're in person, to realize that no one is telling the truth. Okay. Okay. They just, on both sides, they just want the job filled, right? The interviewee wants the job filled. The interviewer is interested enough that, uh, you know, he or she wants that job. 
So I think I'm going to have to reframe this, Julie, as long as we're talking about reframing today, because I don't think any of this is lying. I think it's just kind of structuring the conversation to get a result, right? So if you are interviewing for a job, you choose to say good things about yourself and choose not to say bad things about yourself. I, I think that's just giving I mean, yourself a positive frame. I would do that. I would do that. But, but I also realize, I, I think it's important that if I'm the interviewee, that what the interviewer is telling me may or may not be true. I That's cannot, correct. I yes. cannot accept that as truth. And okay. if I'm the interviewer, which I have been uh, in a past career, I have to assume that what the interviewee is saying is not the whole truth. Yeah. Okay. Wow, Julie, you're just bringing the cynicism today. What's <laughs> happened to you? Spending too, too much time with your pod. You got to no reconnect one. with some of your weak, weak links here out there. No one is telling the truth. That's all. That's it. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for that uplifting boost. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> all right. What do we make of this? I don't know. I, I don't know. All I'm saying is don't two-space your cover letter. They're going to know what year you graduated <laughs> from high school for sure. For certain sure. That's a good piece of career advice, Leanne. Excellent. Yes. Yes. All right. Stay with us. We have uh, we have some really interesting things in the last segment. I should have mentioned at the front of the show, but I really I didn't even get there. We have the therapeutic value of reading. We have a fascinating deep dive into the life of White House dogs, and we have an exciting announcement about our next show in two weeks. Stay with us. But first, we want to thank a couple of sponsors. Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support Satellite Sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we, we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day, just look no further than Osea. Spoil the moms in your life with the little luxuries from Osea. The moms, the stepmoms, the bonus moms, the people who bring a touch of something special to your life aunts, grandmothers, they would love a little Osea this Mother's Day. And you can get 10% off your first order by using our code SATSisters at OseaMalibu.com. And Liz, you know what every mother and mother figure needs? What? More moisture, Liz. They need more moisture in their skin. <laughs> in no their kidding. skin. I mean, really, the creams, the lotions, the oils, I love it all. That duo they have going. Oh. Like, you can't miss with the duo of Osea. Liz, the Mega Moisture Duo, yes. you can you can literally see your skin get firmer and it just delivers this full body glow. Okay, you know we have raved about the Andaria Algae Body Oil. Mm -hmm. Well, pair that with the Andaria Collagen Body Oil. Youthful, yeah. Liz, a youthful yeah. glow is going to happen. <laughs> and it's infused with Osea's signature Andaria Seaweed. So it just smells so delicious, doesn't it? I know you're talking about giving it as a gift. I also suggest just giving it to yourself <laughs> because you're worth it. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is absolutely true. Okay, that moisture duo I mentioned too is a great value because you can save 16% plus the extra 10% with our code Sad Sisters. So this is it. This is a win-win-win Mother's Day gift. Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SATSisters at OseaMalibu.com. And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. 
So head on over to oseamalibu.com and use code SATSisters for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. Okay, well, I want to mention a special show we have coming up in two weeks, sisters, because we just decided we need a special show. So we are off next week. It is President's Weekend, and, you know, we put the show together on Monday, so we're taking Monday off. But the following week, when we were looking in, like, on the platform that hosts all of our episodes, we realized that it's show number 888 right? 888. Doesn't that sound fun? That it does. Seems, it seems like, sounds like something, something that should be celebrated, no doubt. Yes. It seemed like some kind of magic number. Uh, that's a lot of shows. That is a lot of shows. And during the current unpleasantness, I think we can all agree, we need to find special things to celebrate, inject a little joy into our days. So we thought, okay, we're going to celebrate Show number 888. So on the episode in a couple of weeks, we'll have some special observations, maybe about luck and longevity. In the meantime, we're going to organize a contest in the Facebook group and the Instagram feed just for fun. We haven't figured out any of this yet, but we will within two weeks. So you, you can look forward to Lucky Show Triple Eight. We're just going, we're, we're rolling a Triple Eight in a couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to cook up some special, special stuff for that episode. We well, have, we have we cooked have, up the phone. Fo- Go ahead, Joel. Go ahead. I was going to say, we've had listeners that have been with us for all 888 shows. So yeah. this will be a celebration for you, too. Yeah. I mean, let's remember, this doesn't even include the six or eight years that we did a radio show. This right. is just the podcast, 888 just. podcasts. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm-hmm. that's not even the years and years of radio that we did. Um, but Liz, we did cook up a special idea yesterday in the production meeting. We Maybe did. you don't recall. We we're going to have a photo <laughs> contest. So I, I recall, I just didn't know if we had put together the actual rules yet, but th- please. I just want to tip people off. It's going to yeah. be groups of eight. Eight of anything. And uh, so that's not the full description, but, you know, should you happen to be making, I don't know, like eight uh, gift baskets this weekend for your friends to drop off for Galentine's Day, take a photo of those eight things. Yeah. Uh, Because we're going to be having a photo contest on Instagram and Satellite Sisters with the hashtag SatSisters888. But that's it. 888. If you know any eight trivia or anything Mm. about eight, feel free to (laughs) Feel free to put it on our Facebook page because we're looking for information about eights. I I think we could describe this holiday as a very organic kind of celebration, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be developing and we need your help. So start Mm -hmm. posting things of eight. Yes. We'll take it. We'll take it. I also want to mention that we were so happy, Liz and I, to be the guests on Buy the Book. That is a charming podcast hosted uh, by Kristen Meinzer and Jolenta Greenberg. And uh, normally their podcast is so fun. It's like a reality show and a self-help podcast because they pick an actual self-help book and they live by it and then they describe it. It's kind of a social experiment. But they did a whole series of podcasts just about staying connected during the pandemic. And we were so happy to talk to Kristen and Jolenta, and that podcast is out now. So we'll have a link in the show notes, and we've spread the link around social media, but we'll do it again. It was a lot of fun to be interviewed by them. It was really a lot of fun. They're great, and it was just like, how do you stay connected? Some of it, like what we were talking about earlier, the power of friendship and weak links versus strong links. So that was, I was was delighted they asked us to do that and, and had a lot of fun listening back to it myself. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. We were we were in our closets and it was before Christmas. And I feel like when we recorded it and I was like, whoo, that had felt like the end of a very long year, which it yeah. was. So yeah. it sort of took me back to middle of December too. Um, but thanks for having us. That's the Buy the Book podcast. It's on every podcast platform. So if you're just listening now and you want to search, go for it. It's just Buy the Book. You'll find it. Um, Okay, other than the bird feeder, my other full-time activity now is just monitoring the, um, the actions of Champ and Major, the White House dogs. Uh, so it's keeping me busy because they're now posting quite a bit on social media about Champ and Major. Now, you know I'm a longtime satellite sister. I mean, a German Shepherd fan. And uh, I've had three German Shepherds, so I feel particularly close to these first dogs. And I just laugh every day thinking about all the barking. Like, I know... <laughs> I know how much barking my dog does. So I'm trying to imagine if Marine One landed in the backyard, like how much barking she <laughs> <laughs> I can't think about. So, because your dog goes nuts when the mailman goes by. Oh, the mailman. I mean, yeah. So imagine, yeah. I mean, there's so many opportunities that I don't know if the mailman comes to the White House. Do you think the mailman? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but um, so, uh, but I, you know, you also have a lot of questions. It's been a, uh, four years since we've had a pet in the White House. So the Washington Post uh, had a great piece on presidential dogs uh, throughout the last like 20th century. And most presidents have had some kind of dogs and we've had some huge, you know, pet fans and dog lovers in the, uh, in the White House. But one of the things that I, thought most about was like, who is going to take those dogs out? Who takes the dogs out? Who actually takes the dogs out? Do they have to hire somebody or <laughs> mm -hmm. what goes on? And over history, over the course of the last 50 years or so, most White House families have cared for their own dogs. They're in charge of everything. The Bush seniors were huge dog fans. They love their dogs. They took them walking. They took them everywhere. They slept in the bed. But there is one guy at the White House that's known as the dog whisperer, and he is the head greenskeeper there, he, right? Uh -huh. So that is, it's his unofficial job. So he's the guy that like everyone trusts with their dogs because he's so good with dogs and he loved dogs so much. And I've seen him, his name is Dale Haney and he's the chief groundskeeper. And I've seen him in pictures with Champ and Major. I'm like, who is that? He's been identified. But they said he's done this for 40 years. He's worked at the White House since the 70s. So for instance, on 9-11, when President Bush was evacuated and, and the First Lady went to a secret location, it was Dale Haney that took the Bush's dogs from the residence and huh. took them to his house. Never heard that story. Say. Yeah, I know. Isn't that interesting? I'd never yeah. heard that story at all. You might be wondering, Julie, what do those dogs do all day? Where are they? I've been your German yeah. Shepherd. She lies around yeah. all day, right? She lies around. But where do they get to lie around? And most of them actually have like free range of the, the White House and the West Wing. So certain dogs, like the Obama's dogs, really enjoyed hanging out in the First Lady's office. That's where they liked. But Barney, of course, who was uh, the younger Bush, George W. Bush's dog, he, he hung out right there in the Oval Office. He, you know, became everybody's favorite dog there. And uh, there are lots of pictures in this article about Gerald Ford had that nice lab, Liberty. Do you remember Liberty? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd forgotten about Liberty. Yeah, I mean, and so there's a picture of, you know, Henry Kissinger and Liberty uh, and uh, President Ford hanging out in the Oval Office. That just calms down a meeting. You know what I, I mean? I think it does. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Have a thing. But I don't really see the German Shepherds as, uh, as therapy dogs, Leanne. I mean, how are they doing adjusting to their new location? Because you, as you've always said, 
German shepherds are guard dogs and they're right. doing their job, you know, protecting right. their family. Well, right. now, now there's, you know, so many people coming through the White House. I just don't know how that's working. Well, I did see President Biden refer to the older one. You've seen him. I mean, he's 12. Yeah. He, he's, I mean, he has my heart because he is a beautiful old German shepherd. He can't walk that well. He just seems to go from dog bed to dog bed. But every time you see him, he's lying down with his head alert. And the president said he thinks he's Secret Service. So that just <laughs> made me laugh. That made me laugh. I don't know what Major's doing. That Major looks crazy, like my German Shepherd Mia has that same sort of energy, like, whoo, boy, that dog is never going to calm down. Um, but have they destroyed things? Yes, they have. Uh, do you remember Bill Clinton had that chocolate lab buddy? Yes. Okay. Yep. And he ate an entire White House holiday dessert display in the Grand Foyer once. <laughs> Well, any yeah. self-respecting dog would at least attempt. So, <laughs> and um, and then uh, and then this this was a story that really made me laugh. Uh, so George H. W. Bush, they remember they had Millie. Now we're really dating ourselves there, but you know there's a nice spaniel named Millie. Okay, she had puppies, and they said the president was so besotted by the puppies that they were really struggling to keep his daily schedule on on track because he just couldn't stop going in and playing with Millie's puppies. So that's funny. And then here's one last bit of trivia, Julie, that I thought you would like. I had never heard this story. Uh, did you know that Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev gave the Kennedys, gave John Kennedy a mixed breed dog, Pushinka? Oh, they I have gave, not heard that. I, have I know. That. Yeah. So the, so, but before the, the Kennedys could take her home, the head of national security demanded that she go to Walter Reed to be tested for bombs, germs, microphones, and hidden exactly. listening devices. Of course. Right? And Novacek in the underwear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then Pushinka actually had a puppies with a Welsh terrier named Charlie. And you know what Kennedy called the puppies? Pupnicks. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's adorable. That's good. That's adorable. That's good. It's a good, good one, Liam. Okay. Anyway, this I article... can see you have been spending a lot of time on this subject. That's good. Have you joined the fan club for Champ and Major yet? Oh yeah, I follow them. They have several fake Twitter accounts, not an official one, but yeah. So a lot of a lot of jokes about the Oval Pothis and things like that. You know, I, I, I just like to see the photos. I just like to see the photos. But I like all these photos, even in the Washington Post article. It humanizes these people when you see them with their dogs. So anyway, we'll put a link to this. It's a fun article. Sisters, I wanted to tell you about a lovely article on the therapeutic value of reading, okay? I mean, I, I think we particularly, particularly now, we, we know that books are good for you. They're good for your brain. They expand your world. They provide an escape. Sometimes that's the surprise and excitement of the story that what really helps to boost your dopamine, you know? And more than anything, I think it can distract or reduce mental chatter. Do you have any mental chatter going on? <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. I've, some. I've heard of that. I'm familiar with it. Mental chatter. Yes. Okay. It's really a, reading is a kind of meditation. And um, since the pandemic has started, buying books, uh, you know, the, the book sales are up. But here's the interesting thing. They're reporting that reading time is actually down. Mm -hmm. So people are buying books. They have that intention. But 
they're having a hard time getting over the mental chatter, Liz and Leanne. Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. And concentrate. And I know I feel I feel like that. Now, Leanne, you're you're probably of the three sisters, you're probably you've read the most amount of books, right? Uh, and probably the most amount of fiction. Yeah. 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 And, Straight up uh, fiction. And Liz, yeah. you always read the hardest books. Okay. <laughs> well, you get, <laughs> any well, book, you know, 800 page books, yeah. you, you do that. It's but a, I, I have noticed this, this sort of, it's been hard for me. I've read a lot of books recently, but I do struggle with the lack of concentration. And they were saying that there's a lot, a number of tips that you can do to get back in the reading habit because it, it is so good for you. Okay. You know what the mm -hmm. number one tip is? Put your phone far away. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. totally. Sit yes. down and yeah, have yeah. your phone and a book. That's that mm. is just not going to work. I love this that they say pick a favorite spot. Now, Leon, do you have a favorite spot that you read? Yeah, I read out in the living room. I turn the fire on. I do that a lot weekend mornings. So if it's cold, I you know we have a gas fire. It's California, but yeah, no, I have a favorite spot. So if I am reading a hardback book, that's where I'm. That's where I'm sitting. Or Kindle. Reading in the morning is supposed to be another good thing. Liz, do you read in the morning? No, if I read, it's late afternoon or um, after dinner, but usually late afternoon is when I would read for a while and then doze off is yeah. pretty much my, yeah, that's my drill. Okay, that's good. You know, they said, go ahead. If you don't have a comfortable spot, you should make one. It should be like when you were a kid to sprawl out on your bed, maybe get a beanbag chair to sit in uh, to read. <laughs> Liz, don't get a beanbag. Oh yeah, no. I get in a beanbag chair, I'm never getting out. That's not happening. <laughs> and here's another tip they said that to start a new book as soon as you finish the last one. Now, I just read a great book, Ham Hamnet, which I have sent to you, Liz. It should be arriving shortly. Okay. Oh, thank you. Okay. And I love this book, but I have not started a new book. I mean, I, I, I don't have that momentum to keep going, but that they said is an, you know, is another good way to get into the habit of reading more frequently and to really appreciate the therapeutic value of reading. Well, I've really found reading to be super duper helpful over the last 10 months. I mean, I, I normally mm -hmm. read a lot, but I have really found a, a therapeutic value to it. So, uh, I have been doing something kind of unusual for me. I tried um, different genres. I'm reading oh. a lot more outside my normal genres than I normally do. So for instance, I usually don't read a lot of historic fiction, but I have really been enjoying historic fiction uh, over, the, over the last 10 months. Historical fiction, I guess, is what it's technically called. So uh, are there a million books about World War II? Yes, but you can yes. read a million more. But there are many other subjects. And so that's been kind of fun for me. It sort of takes you away, takes transports you to another time and place. You're learning a little bit of something. But the best historical fiction writers can just really put you right in that time and place. So I've enjoyed that. And those I usually read on a Kindle or a hardback. But then I've also been listening to a lot of audiobooks. That's so what they said that's another good way okay. to get the value. Listening, you know, uh, can be a very good way too. Right. And I found with the audiobooks, I've been listening to a lot of mysteries and thrillers. Oh, I love also, those in audio. But that's not a genre I usually 
uh, read. I don't read a lot of that, but I find them, as you can imagine, they're supposed to be the good ones, super compelling and very listenable. And that really like takes me away. So if I'm doing a lot of activity, like washing the dishes and stuff in the late afternoon, I used to turn on the news or just sit in the couch and doom scroll. And now instead I turn everything off. I just turn on an audiobook and I'll, you know, empty the dishwasher, fold the laundry, cook dinner, blah, blah, blah. Like I used to listen to radio. Now I'm listening to audiobooks in mysteries and thrillers. And with those, you just boom, 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 boom. You just go right through them. And so it's fun. Yeah. So those would be my two tips. Okay. Those are very good tips. All right. So I, we, I think we can all want to do this. We want to eliminate mental chatter and get on it. Okay. All right, I will put um, Julie's recommendation and then also a bunch of the books that I've been reading in this week's pep talk. So if you're looking for book recommendations, even on a regular basis, pep talk is a great thing to do. So don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter. Okay. Liz, I All think right. we have time for this last tidbit. Okay, I'm going to make this super quickie. I just wanted to end up with one last story about goats, but this one is a real goat, sisters. Okay, this is an Instagram feed that I recommend to everyone because it's just at surfing goats and it is this is longtime pismo beach surfer dana mcgregor he couldn't leave his goat at home so he when he went to surf because the goat made too much noise so he started taking the goat to the beach with him and then teaching the goat how to surf and he coaches um special needs kids in surfing so now it's kids and goats and surfing and i just got to say this will put a smile on your face even if you've already looked at the bird feeders and the White House dogs, I would add, I would add at surfing goats to your rotation. Liz, I am looking at this. I can't believe this thing. I'm nice, looking right? at it right now. Yes. Well, first of all, the, it's unexpected. It's not those baby goats you see everywhere. That is a big old goat that he's... <laughs> Oh, I, I just assumed it was the, one of the baby goats. No, oh, no, and the goat's name, Julie, is Goatee. So you got to love that. <laughs> okay. There's many things to love about surfing goats. So check it out. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's it. We would like to thank Sergio Enriquez for engineering our show. Thank you, Sergio. One of the, one of the friends we miss in the pandemic is Sergio. So we like connecting at least once a week with you. Thank you, Sergio. A big thanks to our sponsors this week at Satellite Sisters, all longtime sponsors. We appreciate you and we appreciate the Satellite Sisters and Misters supporting our sponsors. It's how we are able to do the show, frankly. Thanks for always being there for us. All right, it's time for our to-do list. Uh, Liz, what do you got? Okay, where did the weekly in for me? Dangling. Uh, my physical therapist told me yesterday that I need to dangle my leg more from the edge of my chair so that my knee starts to bend more. We've spent the first month trying to keep everything straight. Now it's all about dangling. Just let it dangle. So that's what I'm doing here. Even as we talk, I'm on like a real office chair now, just dangling. That's it. That's exciting, right? <laughs> it is, Liz. Yes, wow. right. <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed now to mention my to-do list, which what is... do you have, Liam? <laughs> well, it's Valentine's Day this weekend, so I'm going to oh. try to get some cards in the mail. Oh, so nice. uh, nice. I'm late, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. That's my goal anyway. Julie, what do you have? I am going to an online, a virtual lecture. It's called The Brain and Owner's Guide 2021. And this lecture on uh, February 23rd is how you can eat your way to a better brain 
by making better food choices. Now, here's what I love about this. All I have to do is eat, okay? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to do a crossword puzzle. I don't have to learn Mahjong. I don't have to do Sudoku, okay? Eating, okay? How good is that? We're gonna put the link because this is a free registration at the uh, UT Dallas Center for Brain Health. I think it looks very fun and interesting. Oh, excellent, Julie. It's wow. a good tip, Joel. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, that was a full show. We really covered a gamut. We <laughs> covered we a lot of topics. It's a good thing we're taking next week off. We just <laughs> got to recover. We have nothing else to say. But we will be back for show eight. Eight eighty-eight. Eight. Get excited. Get excited. All right, sisters. Have a great week. You, you too, Lynn. And don't forget, call your satellite sister.